Hi, I'm Sophie van Tornot and you are listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 68. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Spökman. See ya, Stock. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son. Hey, Sally. How's it going? Ah, uh, marvelous. Very well, thank you. Marvelous. Doesn't have to do with uh, Marvel or... No. I prefer DC, by the way. But no. Uh, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially because my, that, that's my favorite ever superhero. Go on, who is that? I must have told you about that. Batman, obviously. Uh, okay. Because he, d- he doesn't have superpowers. Mm. He only has the gadgets. He has loads of money. Yeah. He has loads of time. Yeah, it's a and... very realistic show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, compared to the others, it it could even be true. But okay. Okay, well, I tell you, if we're on this subject, my favorite superhero is Deadpool. Oh, I haven't seen that movie yet. I, I well, you've got it. to see. I it. think he's the funniest. He's the funniest. Superhero. You've got yeah. to see it. All right. All right. Okay. Enough of the of the superheroes. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm for, for some reason I'm obsessed with Batman. I, mean, I don't know why. But there is one one other thing that I'm obsessed with. Go on. Um, and those listeners listening from the UK, they're gonna be laughing at me for that. Oh. But I've had ever since I was a, I was a teenager, I've had a massive love for the BBC. Oh yeah, I know that. Well, I I knew that you were obsessed with BBC. Yeah. And you know what happened today? Oh, because we we're recording on a Sunday. I attended the recording of The Big Questions. Ooh. And how, I, how did it go? It was amazing. I loved it. <laughs> um, and did you, did, you, did you have a chance to make a comment or a question? Or? Yeah, 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 I did. I did. Amazing. I did. Oh, it, was about, it, it was That's about Brexit. Worry. No, no, cool. it, was live sh- it was a live show. Oh, Ouchie. <laughs> <laughs> ouchie, ouchie, ouchie. And was it civilized or were people fighting? Oh, there was a massive... No, it, it was civilized, as, as always, with uh, the big questions. I, I really like that show. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was about Brexit. Oh, and um, do you know who, who Kevin Freery is? No. No. He calls himself the Skeptical Psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. he's in the skeptical community in the UK, and, and he's, he's well-known, I think. Um... And he was one of the one of the, the invited guests or debaters. Um, so he was on the panel, and uh, I was sitting behind him <laughs> during the recording. Yeah, yeah, that really made my day. The other thing that happened to me this week, it was really great and uh, worth mentioning, probably, is uh, an event hosted by the Goldsmith College and uh, Chris French. Mm-hmm. It was a panel discussion about standing up for science. And the debate was chaired by none other 
than uh, Tracy Brown, who's the director of Science About Science. Mm-hmm. So it's great to mention her because uh, today nice we're going to have an interview. Yeah, we're going to have an interview with uh, the director of Science About Science EU, uh, Sophie Van Tornut. Amazing. Yeah, and I had a very nice chat with Chris Peters as well. Yeah, it was a great event happening in London at Goldsmith College. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about uh, what's going on in Dublin uh, in terms of the the planned vax screenings? What I know is that there was this uh, venue, Helix Dublin, uh-huh. that yeah. was supposed to host uh, the event. Okay. But it was supposed to be secret, but it leaked out. Oops. So now it's no longer that. But uh, if you go to, uh, uh, if you look uh, look it up, the, the vaxxed people have not given up yet. They say that it will happen. But now it's a new secret about a new secret venue where it will happen. So <laughs> we'll see. It's still developing. A still developing story. You know, I know it's. it means that it's still an underground movement. But this is one of those, mm. those scary ones that... Mm that you actually fear that they will have much, much more support. Ah, well, wow. well, I guess they, it, the whole thing shows that it is, what you say, an underground movement. It's not, a, it's not a public movement. It's not like a lot of people are demanding this. This is a very fringe movement. And as soon as people, you know, voice raise their voice about it, things get cancelled. So mm. I think that is positive. Yeah. So... Um, we do encourage everyone uh, who's uh, who feels strongly about this issue to do something about it, to to raise their voice and come up to to the venues, come uh, somehow express their opinions, so that and and elevate the debate. Don't attack people over it, but try to talk to people and try to to debate this topic hmm. because sure, it's more more than important. And uh, yeah, actually, we we have been contacted on several occasions by people, and there is, there seems to be a growing demand for that link I offered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> for, for Vex, it's still there. So do contact us if you would like to see it, and you don't want to pay for it. <laughs> and also, you can contact us for anything else, comments, suggestions, etc., by emailing us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu you can follow us on twitter and twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu uh like us on facebook of course or go on our website theesp.eu and complete a form a contact form there also uh if you have a spare minute and you're listening to getting our podcast via itunes please leave us a review on itunes Mm, absolutely so uh, do that and go to our website as said and you can look at the all the events going on the the science festival in in edinburgh is ongoing as we speak so go for that for for instance and look at other things or donate to our podcast if you want to even though you have still have to log on in swedish but i think you will manage (laughs) (laughs) i don't know Work in progress, work in progress. Pontus has tried, I have tried, and apparently um, we cannot overcome that little issue of the actual organization behind this having uh, a Swedish address. Yeah, we were registered in Sweden. First mistake, I guess. (laughs) 
Never mind. Never uh, mind. It's an international but... movement. You do the thing and Google Translate or whatever. It's not very hard. It's you know, log in in <laughs> Swedish is logga in. So I mean, how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so are we ready to move on to our interview? Oh yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Fantastic. Let's do that. Let's do that. On every other episode, we usually interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today, our guest is Sophie Van Turnut, who's the director of Sense About Science EU, the recently opened office of the UK-based charity Sense About Science. A molecular biologist by training, she has been a science communicator on an international level, specialising in evidence-based policy and public debates about evidence. She has worked for the Belgian Royal Science Academies, the European Academy's Science Advisory Council, and for a couple of months even for the Chief Scientific Advisor to the President of the European Commission. She now leads the European campaigns of Sense About Science. Sophie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, it was quite a mouthful, quite a lot of achievements there. L- later on, we'd like to, to, to uh, talk about um, your role in in um, this this whole thing about Sense About Science. But I'd like to start with how and when did Sense About Science EU come about and the idea and, and how did it actually happen? Okay, so um, I think I got to know Sense About Science when I was working for Anglover and I was an immediate fan. Um, I thought that that was exactly what was missing in Brussels, that we needed an organization like that to improve the public debate on evidence because that was clearly lacking in, um, in EU affairs. Um, so for, for me, it was always a bit of a, a plan C in the back of my head. Like if one day I lose my job or I'm really bored with what I'm doing, I, I might want to start uh, something like Sense About Science in Brussels. Um, but at some point, um, Sense About Science came to me because they actually had some plans of their own to start something in Brussels. Um, and they just came to me to pick my brains a bit because they, they knew I, I'd been involved in evidence-based policy. Uh, but it became quite clear very quickly that we were completely on the same wavelength and that we were a good match. So my experience in Brussels and in EU affairs and in international collaboration on, in terms of evidence uh, and their experience in the public debate and public engagement was was just uh, we just put that together, and with that we made sense about science EU. How difficult was it to set it up? I mean, it's it's not easy to to start a new office in in the EU for for especially for a UK organization. I am I'm guessing uh, these days. So, and when did that happen? Um, it was it was just before the Brexit actually. So so that didn't really. Um, interfere there um, if that's what you're thinking about uh, um, yeah. so um, I don't know I was already in Brussels so so uh, for me it was quite a natural transition from from one job to another I mean my network is the same the people that I work with are the same so um, it's not so much about setting up a physical office it's just about getting a presence in Brussels so I'm just now always talking about uh, sense about science there um, and we've set up a strategy and a couple of campaigns that we're doing in Brussels and at the European level 
so that that's that's basically it mm, okay so you're based in in brussels uh originally yes yeah that's where you're from um i'm i'm belgian i'm flemish so i, I was working in brussels i i don't live there i i just work there as as most people in brussels actually <laughs> So in the, in the introduction, Andras mentioned your background being in molecular biology. So how did you end up working in policy related areas? Um, yeah, that that's very random. Uh, actually, I um, I noticed that actual research is is not my thing. I don't have the passion and the drive to focus on you know that that one protein of that one subspecies of whatever. Um, so I, I wanted to do something more with society, um, something more with, with the results of the research rather than just that, that little bit of very focused research. Um, so I just was looking out for, for a different type of job and it could have been uh, science education because I was quite interested in that as well. Um, but there was this uh, job at the Academies for Science that was available, and that seemed interesting as well. And there it was just the international relations, um, and, and that really appealed to me. So I started doing that, and quite shortly after that, we had a bit of extra budget at the Belgian Academies, and my boss at the time had this vision of doing something more for ESAC, for the European Academy Science Advisory Council, so this is a this is a federation of the national science academies of the EU member states, who work together to give scientific advice to the EU institutions. And so, because um, the Belgian academies are located at walking distance of the European institutions, my boss thought that we should do something with that with that location, and that we could set up a Brussels office for ESAC. And so um, he asked whether I didn't want to lead that work. You know, for me, it was a bit a weird transition um, because I had no experience at all in policy and, and very little interest um, in European affairs at the time. But it seemed like an, an, an exciting challenge. So um, I did it and I, I found out that I do have a passion for that. And I'm, I'm really, really happy that I was at the right place at the right time uh, to do this. We have um, talked a lot on the show about Sense About Science. Um, what is the main profile of the EU branch and what does it do? Um, and sort of, if you tell us a little bit about the, the goals that it sets. So just like Sense About Science, um, we just monitor use and abuse of scientific evidence, but we focus a bit on EU affairs. And so we do things like we stand up for public interest in evidence, we advocate for openness about evidence and public claims, and we, we also equip people, citizens, to, to ask for evidence and to understand it. And for, for, the, for our EU branch, we're currently focusing on uh, three campaigns. One is the voice network. So voice, that's V-O-Y-S, and that stands for Voice of Young Science. And that's a network of early career researchers who stand up for science and so who are motivated and equipped by us to stand up for science. And that's a network that's been running for about 10 years in, in the UK already and a, and a bit internationally. But now we're actively building that out in the rest of uh, Europe. And we're organizing on the 9th of June our first workshop in Brussels 
in, um, in which we don't only learn these early career researchers how to interact with, for instance, the media in standing up for science, but we will also have some policymakers there who also explain to the scientists and to the researchers what they expect from researchers, what kind of evidence do they need, and what is the best way to get the evidence on their desk. So that's um, one of the campaigns, VOICE. Um, another campaign that we're now trying to build out more into the rest of Europe is Ask for Evidence, which is a campaign that focuses on citizens, trying to motivate them to ask for evidence whenever they come across a public claim. Um, and we also give them the tools to ask for evidence and to evaluate the evidence that they get. So is it good evidence or bad evidence? We also help with that. And so this campaign also has been running for a couple of years. But now we, on the one hand, want to focus a bit more on policy and, and EU policy. So it, a lot of it is, is consumer affairs. Um, for instance, uh, there's this shampoo that claims to make your hair grow better. Is that really true? Where's the evidence? So there are a lot of questions like that, and we want a bit more policy questions now and a bit more EU questions. So we try to motivate people to, whenever there's a claim in EU affairs, whether it's from a politician or a lobby group or business or an NGO, um, and you have questions about it, just ask for the evidence behind the claim. Um, and, uh, and we'll help you check the evidence that you get back. And then uh, lastly, the third campaign that we're very active with now is um, Evidence Matters. And that is a campaign that really started after the Brexit. Um, so it's a response to the whole discussion about post-truth society. And our perspective there is that people do care about experts. A lot of people are saying, some people have been saying that people don't care about experts, that evidence doesn't matter for most people. And we just see so many people and so many people contact us who say that evidence does matter for them. They do care about experts and about evidence. And, and we told them, well, you have to tell the politicians because there's this, there's this huge risk that the politicians will start to believe this and will start to act upon the those um, discussions that people don't care about evidence and, and that they will take their decisions based on emotions instead of evidence. And so we brought a lot of people to uh, the British par Parliament already to, to testify that they care about evidence. And we're doing the same now on the 21st of June in the EU Parliament. So we're bringing in people from all over Europe and from all walks of life we have, for instance, uh, a Dutch farmer and um, a Spanish fisherman and an Estonian social housing officer. Um, and they will all come to the EU Parliament and say why for them in their little niche, um, for their personal life, evidence is important and why they want politicians to use evidence when they're making decisions and um, that they want politicians to communicate well uh, what their decisions are based on. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'm happy to hear that because quite often, um, well, I, I know people who uh, rely on alternative medicine and they often go to that uh, argument in saying that, but it makes them feel good and it makes them feel right and it's all about the feeling. But actually, um, it's very dangerous to trust your feelings because <laughs> quite often um, they're wrong, C certainly about scientific topics and med medicine, etc. 
Sophie, how, how do you build your network, your international network? Because um, you mentioned three different campaigns. I know with the Voice of Young Science, you have... Um, a lot of young scientists and the other thing is uh, ask for evidence you have a whole lot of experts um, you have um, a, a database of experts to contact with different topics as uh, Chris um, explained it at the European Skeptics Congress in 2015 and the third is um, evidence matters which means that you have to be able to find all those stories, all those people who who are ready to t- tell their stories. How do you find these people? How do you make the connections? How are you building your network? Okay, a, a lot of them we reach um, through the, the networks of people that we are already in contact with. Um, so, for instance, um, a British social housing officer will have contact with, for instance, the Estonian social housing officer. So that is one way. Um, we do um, do some, say, cold calling as well. For instance, we've been uh, getting in touch with youth organizations because we think youth is a very important topic, uh, mm-hmm. the European agenda, and we didn't really have something like that in the UK. Um, and uh, we, we just um, got in touch with a couple of uh, organizations where we saw that they do use evidence and they think evidence is important and that's fairly easy to find so just some some search on on um, google will will give you a lot of these organizations and we got in touch with them and most organizations that we co- that we've contacted responded really really positively and are very eager to collaborate for this um, so that's um, also we 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 have very strong social media media campaigns. We use Twitter a lot. Um, for the scientists, it's different. So we do more. Um, we go more through central registrations for that. So Voice is supported by scientific institutes and scientific societies and universities. And so if, if they support the network, they will also promote it. So that's a very good way to reach the junior researchers. So it depends a bit on the campaign. Uh, we tend to be quite creative. And obviously I also, um, you know, me and all of my colleagues, we, we go to a lot of events to talk about the work that we do and that helps us to find good contacts and to build our network. Mm. Can we expect to see you at the European Skeptics Congress in uh, September? Um, oh, I, I'd be very happy to see if I'm available for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to listen to a talk of yours. Okay. About a uh, sense about science. Yeah, great. So I, I, th- I gather that you, we know that you work with a lot of volunteers in the UK where it all started. So how do you do that on a European level? It, it's not just you know, Brussels and the EU, you have to mobilize people from all over Europe. How, how do you do that? There, a lot of them come to me. So we've just been announcing within our own network uh, the work that we're doing and that we started uh, Sense About Science EU. And really, it's amazing how many people just spontaneously contacted me, people who were already in the network of Sense About Science, but who are not um, no longer perhaps or not necessarily based in the UK so people from, from France from Spain um, all over actually have contacted me quite spontaneously 
Um, we also, whenever we, we use our network of, of young scientists a lot uh, for, thing, for when we need volunteers because they, they are really motivated to, to do something, to make their hands dirty, to, to get out there um, and, and uh, help running a campaign. So we use that network a lot as well to find volunteers. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of a lot of things. Um, I would I would love to love to know what when you you say we in terms of uh, doing the actual work. Does that mean you and the volunteers, or is there anyone else um, in the office? Sensebark Science EU is is still very strongly linked to Sensebark Science in general. Okay. So I'm I'm the only one who's based in Brussels. Okay. Um, apart from an occasional uh, intern. But I'm, I'm definitely not working on my own. So I okay. do get support for, for communications, uh, but also for, for the actual work, um, uh, for the strategy, definitely as well. I get a lot of support from the London office. Okay. But still, funding-wise, it must be somewhat different. So how is it funded? Is it... Um, is there a separate kind of uh, source of funding for uh, Sensible Science EU, or it it works as as an EU branch of the, uh, the UK organization? Yeah, it works as an EU branch uh, branch of the UK organization. We we are looking for for project funding for the specific EU projects that we're doing, but and for instance for for Voice the sponsorship from uh, research institutes and universities can be either for the UK bit or for the more EU bit. So that is, that is separate. Um, but, but we, we do, we are a branch of the UK organization also in the funding. Mm, okay. Do you work with specific topics? And if so, what are the major issues that the organization is working on at the moment? Um, for the EU, we're not working with specific topics currently. Um, so I've uh, I've been involved a bit with uh, one of the recent uh, Making Sense Of guides that was Making Sense of Forensic Genetics uh, because we, we were doing that in the framework of a European project. So I, was, uh, I did offer some support there to make sure that um, it, it considers everything that is relevant for EU as well. Uh, and I've been helping a bit with making sure that the dissemination is also EU-wide. Uh, but apart from that, um, none of the three projects that I, uh, three campaigns that I um, discussed before are uh, focused on a specific topic. So up to now, no. Okay. Um, but but is there anything in the pipeline at all? Um, not, no, not immediately. These, uh, these three campaigns are, are our main thing now. Okay. Um, so our main focus. There, there is a lot of anti-science legislation in the EU concerning GMOs, homeopathy and, and vaccinations, for instance, in some countries at least. What can be done about this on a, on a European level? Okay, um, I think it's important to, um, to understand that these, these examples that you're giving, I wouldn't say it's anti-science legislation because that suggests it's that science is, is the enemy. And it's clear that it's sometimes a bit of a war between different parties, but I don't think anybody sees science as such as the enemy. It just happens that the scientists are on the wrong, in the wrong camp. Um, if if you understand what I mean, 
So what, what I think there, um, to improve the debate and to, to decrease the polarization in some of these topics, um, th this might sound a bit contradictory, but I think we, in some cases, need to re-politicize the debate. I know that a lot of people say that we need to depoliticize the debate, but I think that's a, a bad approach in this case. Um, because for good use of evidence, we need to leave room also for the political debate and for political disagreement. And it needs to be very clear which bits of the debate um, are based on evidence and where evidence is important and where there is still room for disagreement and for different values uh, and for, for different political views. And basically there are two reasons for that, I think. On the one hand, you, you don't want to give the impression that um, the evidence will point to one clear solution, because it rarely does. Uh, science usually doesn't tell you what to do. It only explains the system, and sometimes even only part of the system. Um, to, to talk about GMOs, for instance, the evidence will show you that GMOs are a good solution for a certain problem, and the evidence can show you that it's safe. But if you would look at, for instance, ecological research, that could show you that for the same problem, improving the soil quality or other ecosystem services could be an equally good alternative. So when you say yeah, the evidence is supporting what you're saying, it doesn't mean that the solution that you're offering is the only possible solution. Um, often there are trade-offs as well with all the complex, wicked problems that we're living in, uh, with today. Um, there might be strong trade-offs between different interests. Whatever solution you take, it will always be suboptimal. There will always be a downside to every option. And then you, you do need politics then to take a decision and to balance all the different interests and to balance these different trade-offs. I didn't mean to imply that GMOs are always the best way to do things, but the, the way some legislation has been done, it says we ban all GMOs because it may be bad in some cases. That's not very... That, to me, is an, that's an anti-science... Uh, yeah, uh, what I'm doing is I'm taking it a step back. We can fight the, the war where it is now, or you can tr just try to improve the debate. What you need to do with something like this is you have to undermine it from the bottom up. You just have to start the debate again. And um, you, have to, you, you need some fairness in the debate as well, where some honesty, where... You can't just keep focusing on this one solution. You have to look at the entire system. So the second reason why you should do this is that when you respect somebody's right to another opinion, they will be much more open to listen to your facts. So everybody starts from a certain perspective with a certain bias, also me, also you. And by recognizing and openly acknowledging your own uh, almost per definition limited perspective and by respecting other people's perspectives even in this case if it's it doesn't seem entirely relevant for the specific uh, legislative question and even if the other people's perspectives seem a bit alien but by agreeing to disagree and by respecting that um, other perspective you do create a positive debating space and in 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 such a debate, inconvenient facts will not be that easily ignored or denied anymore, which is what we're seeing now. 
So this is really now, it's um, us against them on both sides of the debates. So what I'm saying is not that that um, people's defending GMOs wrong, because I've been defending GMOs my entire career. Um, I don't think I'm wrong. Um, I just think we need to be more open for why there is so much resistance against it. And we need to be willing to have that debate. And I, what I keep seeing in the biotech community is that there's very little willingness because they're so certain that they are right and they are right. But there's very little willingness to even accept that you can be against GMOs. So I do think that instead of throwing more science in the debate and more evidence, in polarized debates like that, you need to take a step back. And you need to be very clear where everybody stands. You need to be very clear that the political ideologies from every different person in the discussion are clear and are on the table. And it will make it much easier to have that debate, I think. But when that is said, there is already a shift going on in the GMO debates. I see more and more uh, environmentally concerned people who actually start acknowledging that GMOs and new technologies like CRISPR offer opportunities also for the protection of environment. So there is a shift going on. Mm -hmm. When when you're talking about the debate, are you talking about a debate on a public level or on the legislative level? Because uh, we do have to acknowledge that it's it's a nightmare, the greatest nightmare for a politician. And we are talking about politicians making those decisions about legislation in the EU level as well. So it's the greatest nightmare for them to lose public support of their uh, own opinions or, or their own agendas. So which are we talking about? Are you talking about the public debate or the ones are happening among politicians in the EU? Um, I'm, I'm absolutely talking about the public debate because okay. um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I, when I first went to a politician to talk about GMOs, first thing he said to me was, you know, this is really nice, your report, and we're happy you have a consensus. But actually, we already knew that. We've known that for a long time, that the scientists say that GMOs are safe. But the public opinion on this is so strong, and we're still a democracy. We can't ignore a strong public opinion like that. We have to act upon it. And so we have to, in this case, ignore the evidence. This is what he literally said to me. So there is the public debate is something which, uh, which we can't ignore, and you can't make policy just... Um, within your policy bubble, this is this is, by the way, one of the things that is that that has caused the EU to be so unpopular and has indirectly led to things like the Brexit. It's the, the untransparency. It's it's making politics behind closed doors. Um, it's ignoring the public debates. And um, in the case of GMOs, actually, the public debate. Uh, refuse to be ignored um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in this case I'll leave that in the middle but we, we do think that a, a more involvement of citizens a more participatory democracy that, that can improve things So, so I see, I, I think what you're saying is that there's a danger that you in alienate the public by just insisting no, everything is safe, we'll go ahead and do this anyway and then you alienate yeah, so you want to have that debate 
to make sure that you get people on board. Absolutely. You know, I've, I, I have two daughters and I've tried that with them. I told them, believe, the, believe me, this is good for you. And, yeah. you know, they didn't believe me. So uh, then I started mm -hmm. explaining why it was good for them. And, and I, I took their, their own opinion serious. And, uh, and, and that was a way to move forward. And I think it's, it's exactly the same thing with citizens and the EU. As long as you make your policy in, in the Brussels bubble, without ever interacting with the people um, with, with that strong democratic deficit that we do have there um, there's a problem then and people won't like the EU and they won't like anything that comes out of it and that's something we're trying to tackle yeah but that makes a lot of sense then I agree talking about elevating the public debate about science um, what do you think of much for science are you involved in the Brussels event so uh, I'm, I'm not directly involved in the organization but I am in contact with the organizers and I'm definitely going to be present on the march so every every march in every country is slightly different and it really depends on the organizers and the Brussels one is organized by mainly by a group of volunteers uh, who are into science communication and they're going to um, have two main messages for this march. Uh, one is facts matter and the second is science is global. So these are two messages that we definitely want to endorse. Uh, it's, going, it's also going to be, um, uh, we're going to be celebrating and provoking rather than angrily protesting. It's not going to be an actual march, it's going to be more like a festival. Um, and so, yes, I'm, I definitely, we're definitely going to in, endorse the, the Brussels march. Nice. Just to m move forward a bit and um, talk about what can be done. We've uh, touched on you building the network and uh, trying to reach other people across Europe uh, who are interested in, in your campaigns. Um, it occurs to me from time to time that there is a lot of material out there um, that can be translated. Uh, Sense about science is brilliant in terms of providing all those materials. Uh, for example, the lesson plans uh, that were uh, recently renewed uh, on the website. Is there a project aiming at the translation of these materials and making it available to uh, speakers of other languages across Europe? Uh, so for Ask for Evidence, like I said, we're trying to build that out uh, in the wider e, um, EU. And that means basically because it's a campaign that is focusing on citizens, you can't communicate to all EU citizens just in English uh, exactly. and, and, you know, from Brussels or from London or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're trying to find partners, local partners, to run the campaign at a local level in their own language. Um, and with whatever communication and promotion strategy works best in, in that context. And um, I'm sure that some of the resources are going to be translated then. Uh, we, we need to figure out which ones are absolutely essential and which ones might be uh, an optional to translate. Um, and it, it'll depend a bit, I think, on, on the judgment of the local partner as well, which resources will be translated in which language. 
So it how you basically imagine doing it or or plan to do that is that uh, if someone representing another organization uh, comes up with the idea of dealing with one of those resources or a couple of these resources, then they should contact you. Uh, yes, definitely. And I think some have already been translated in some other languages, but I, I would have to check. Um, in, in any case, the Italian Skeptics organization is already running a, a local version of Ask for Evidence. Um, and they, they had started that already before we had started with Sense About Science EU. And they just asked whether they could use the model and some of the resources. And, mm -hmm. and we were obviously fine with that. Um, so in Italian, I think there might be a couple already. Um, yeah, I would need to check on myself on the website. But sometimes, yes, sometimes people just volunteer to make translations. That happens as well. And um, how can people follow your activities and what is the best way to get in touch um, if they want to volunteer or help you in any way? They can get in touch with me just by email. Um, so the easiest um, address would be eu at senseaboutscience.org. But uh, to, to follow our activities, I would say just uh, follow our Twitter account as well, um, which we, we maintain very actively. Um, that's also a good way to get in touch with us if you like using Twitter. Uh, Sense About Science has a Facebook account, not Sense About Science EU uh, right now, but that would be an option as well. But I think Twitter is our main uh, communication channel. So, so what is the planned timeline for the current projects and what future plans do you have for, for new ones? The Evidence Matters event in the Parliament, uh, which is going to be uh, in June, we uh, we have some still fairly vague plans to set up a citizens committee after that that will um, come back one year after the event to check how MEPs have been, so how the members of the European Parliament have been performing, whether they have been respecting what the citizens asked them at that event um, and will have something like the best and the worst of how evidence is used in the European Parliament. Um, so that's one of the follow-ups. And so for the rest, voice and uh, ask for evidence is really a, a long-term campaign. So that's one that we hope to be running over many years. We, we do have some uh, plans as well to do something more for the science community to help them understand how the EU works. Um, and understand um, how you can get involved with the EU and show them that it's, it's, it's not really behind closed doors, as the impression is. It is actually quite open uh, and accessible, but you have to know how and you have to make a bit of an effort. And so that's something that we, were the, we hope to make uh, a film in the future that will help scientists to, and researchers in general, because when I'm saying scientists, I, I don't just mean uh, natural scientists. I, I do uh, think that social sciences and humanities have an important role in providing evidence for policy as well. Um, so hopefully this film will give them some guidance in how to interact with policymakers. Nice. Um, I think that sums up pretty well your activities um, with Sense About Science EU. So I'm afraid this has been all we had time for. I'd like to 
thank you for your time. Yes, and thank you. Uh, being available for this interview. So, Sophie Van Turnut, thank you. Thank you. Very thank you so much. Fantastic. Bye. Keep Thanks. keep up the good work. Thank you very much. We will. And, w and we'll stay in touch. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> and hope to meet you in person at some point. Yes. Uh, at one of the, one of the uh, international events. Okay, great. Thank All you. right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow, this, this was very informative. I mean... It was a very, um, in some places, eye-opening, really. Absolutely. She, she has put this this whole issue or the, the whole movement into different perspective mm. um, and in terms of what we can achieve and how we would like to approach um, uh, tackling these issues yeah, yeah. and it was especially interesting to hear her her opinions about listening to people who have emotional arguments etc and and she had a very good point i think it didn't make it to the interview but if we don't listen to people who are fearful of these new technologies or fearful of science in general they won't listen to us if we don't listen to them so i yeah. think that's yeah. a very good point and it became obvious that um we have to well i don't want to say win but we have to win the emotional argument we have to find the way mm -hmm. of communicating with people who, who who are then putting that argument forward yeah and stigmatizing people for for not understanding complex issues or uh, calling them stupid or 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 any of that kind of uh, reactions it's just going to put people off and uh, that's that's the end of the debate because sure. you basically lost <laughs> yes Yes. And um, yeah, it's been expressed by many skeptics uh, recently in the last couple of years, and it's it's a growing concern. And um, I'm I'm pretty sure we sooner or later the whole movement will get there, but but we're still in the in the early process of shifting the debate to that side, to to actually make make progress. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna be here to help the community with interviews with news and everything so that you, you we keep you informed talking about keeping you informed have i mentioned that there is the british podcast awards going on at the moment and nominations are open until the end of april amazing and mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure that um, we would qualify at least the search brings up uh, when you actually start searching for the European Skeptics po uh, podcast, and it does say that it's only UK produced or uh, UK based productions that that can be nominated, and we can be nominated. We are produced in the UK actually. Um, I'm I'm doing the post production um, in my home, which is close to Brighton, so. Um, yeah, and we do cover a lot of uh, UK-related topics. So, if the listeners, you feel like we should be nominated uh, for the um, the British Podcast Awards, please do so. Please nominate us and please vote for us. Hooray! And uh, <laughs> you will see you will see the link um, on the, the, our website uh, among the show notes. Okay, for this show, I think this has been all that mm -hmm. we had time for. Uh, we need to close the show and next week we are coming back with a segmented show uh, with all the regular segments until then goodbye bye goodbye everyone 
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Nice! Noise. Okay. Peace be upon you. <laughs> peace be upon you. That's not I peace. Don't know what that peace. Is. I don't know what that peace means. on you. Peace on you too. Do you know I that? Fun. Do you know that one? Uh, the the Italian man who went to Malta. I thought it was from um, what's it called? Um, the, the, the I fart in your general direction. The same sketch. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Could have been. But shall we uh, go on? And the other thing that happened to me... You had a baby. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> and all your family arrived at once. Doom, 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 doom. Just improvised a new tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>